0: From InsurTech Ireland, this is InsurTech Radio. I'm Connor Sweetman and this week we have a live panel discussion about the future of insurance. Welcome to another episode of InsurTech Radio, the podcast that teaches you about how technology is changing insurance and about the people making it happen. This week, we have a live panel discussion about the future of insurance. As we all know, in insurance, uncertainty is our business. We help people do things where the outcome may not always be clear. But how do we, the insurance industry itself, deal with uncertainty? What do we do when the outcome may not be clear? These are the questions that we try to answer in this week's panel discussion. The discussion was recorded at an InsurTech Ireland event back in November. Our panel of guests was made up of Nisha Harnett, a partner at Pinsent Masons, Jerry Hassett, Interim CEO at Insurance Ireland, Peter Killian, Senior Executive, Market Operations and Innovation at Lloyds Market Association, and Patrick O'Brien, CEO and Director at Greenlight Re. The group spoke about a range of topics, including the impact of wearables on insurance, what big tech needs to do to compete in insurance, and how someday maybe insurance products will all become invisible. Despite all the uncertainty in our industry and in our world, our panellists are optimistic about the future of insurance. Insurance has always enabled people and businesses to take risks, but like the people we help, the industry itself must also prepare for uncertainty, and this involves peering as best we can into the future, imagining the type of world we might end up in, and then figuring out a way to get there. So hopefully this episode provides you with a little glimpse of the future and those first steps you need to take to get there. The discussion kicks off with a question for Patrick O'Brien, and he sets the scene brilliantly for where we are now. Because in order to know where we're going, we need to understand the macro trends that are affecting our world as it is.
1: Pat, uh, I have a question for you to begin with. So um, insurance is a, is a very broad industry. Based on your experience of engaging with, with InsurTech and just your your own professional experience. Do you think uh, different segments of, of the industry are moving with the same speed?
2: I, I think first of all, Stan, to talk about uh, the, the future of insurance, maybe the first place I'd start is you know, we need to look at the world that we're living in every day. There's a number of macro trends, and the insurance industry is sort of, of linked to that. So, you know, we're to look at some some high level trends. So, in this part of the world, or you know, we have an aging population. There's a lot of focus on, on climate change for the first time probably in a long time. That seems to be taken more seriously from a political perspective. There's the rise of the gig economy. So we now have in the U.S. over 30% of the population are working as independent contractors, and that's expected to be about 50% of the population uh, over the next five years or so. We have changes in technology. So you know, the iPhone is only around 10 or 15 years, but it's changed the way all these things work. So... There's a real change in the environment in which insurance is based, and I think that then has a knock-on impact on, on insurance itself. I think then to look at insurance itself, you know, it's, it's very broad. So in my mind, we could probably split insurance into, into four sectors. So you have, first of all, you have the personal loan side... Uh, then you've commercial or specialty, you've health, and then you've got the reinsurance sector, which is the sector I'm in. And I, I guess there's different trends or different issues in each of those. So maybe if I just quickly go go through some of those uh, and, and give some sort of high level thoughts or observations. So if we look at personal lines, I guess the two key products are, are, are auto and home, and uh, I guess we're going to see you know fairly significant changes in both of those over the next five or ten years. So. If we look at auto, first of all, you've got the situation around you know, the growth of rideshare. So that's something that didn't exist five years ago. We're now seeing, with the likes of Uber on taxi spikes or go cars or whatever, a growth in, uh, in how people, or a change in how people drive. So if you're a young person today, you're living in an urban environment, are you going to buy a car? And that's a big question as we look towards the future. So what does that mean for the, the purchase of insurance? So is it moving more from a personal lines type product to a a corporate product where it's a a product that's sold as a fleet or whatever to whoever owns the fleet of cars. So that's something that we need to consider in the auto space. You've then got the the chance of autonomous vehicles. So, you know, that's, again, a, a Going a long time, I was back in California in 2014, and I saw some autonomous cars. We're still seeing them, uh, but at some point in the future, they're, they're going to come. And you know, what does that mean for the future of insurance? So again, that potentially changes the product away from a consumer purchasing auto insurance to uh, it becomes a product of li- a liability product. Uh, it's the manufacturer who potentially is going to have to purchase the product. So in the auto space, there's going to be a lot of change. You move to home, it's similar, maybe not quite as extreme, but I think the big trend there probably is smart homes and the Internet of Things. So, you know, really probably what we should be seeing in the home space is uh, a move towards risk prevention. So can we use these tools, uh, smart tools, I guess, to reduce claims? So, that, you know, a good example of that probably is flood insurance and, you know, trying to avoid leaks with, with, with using IoT devices. So there's a whole range of things that we can, we can do in the, the, uh, the smart home space. The other trend maybe in, in home then is, is sort of linked to change in consumer behaviour. Uh, so we're probably seeing now, certainly in the more developed economies, uh, more people renting than buying property. You look at the property prices in Dublin and young people out there, you know, a lot of people aren't buying homes anymore, so they're renting. So we're going to see a growth in renter's insurance. There's a lot of uh, insurtechs in the US in particular focus on renter's insurance. Another product we're seeing, I guess, is is the lease-guarantee type product. So we've invested in a particular company uh, that's offering lease-guarantee insurance in the U.S. So rather than people renting properties and having to pay six months or 12 months' deposit, they now buy an insurance product to cover uh, the cost of their their deposit, and that opens up the possibility of them renting. So we're going to see changes in in home as well. So moving away from personal lines then onto sort of commercial or specialty, there's specific trends uh, there too. So... The first probably real growth area there is cyber insurance. So that's, there's no doubt that we're all becoming more dependent upon technology. That creates needs, but the exposure is also increasing, so we're seeing more and more hacks. There's a huge number of insurtechs focused in the, uh, in the cyberspace trying to figure out how they can help clients risk manage their cover, their cover and potentially then sell them insurance linked to that risk management. The insurers are a little bit afraid of the exposure uh, because ultimately there's a big risk of aggregation there. But we'll definitely see some growth in the cyberspace because insurers can't afford to ignore it. It's going to be a key focus of the future. The other one maybe in the commercial or specialty space then is, uh, is CAT. So we've seen over the last couple of years... You know, 2017 and 2018 combined were the two, two record years for cat losses in the insurance industry linked primarily to, to, to climate change. So we've seen a lot of hurricanes in the US, we've seen wildfires in California become an annual event. Last couple of weeks we've had wildfires in Australia, we've had typhoons in Japan. So all that's changing and that's going to have an impact on how we price and manage risk. Uh, I think in the cat aggregation space uh, we've had through tools like RMS or whatever, you know, we've had sort of ways to model uh, these types of risks for many years, but I guess we got a question, are those tools uh, doing the... Th- the best job for us in the current environment with the change changes that are happening from climate change. Uh, we are seeing some interesting uh, insure techs operating in that space too. So there's a number of people in the flood space. Uh, there's a number of people now trying to model wildfires. So these are all new exposures uh, that companies are, are trying to resolve. So moving on then to the health space. So that's not my area of expertise. It's more Jerry's. But I think the, the big sort of trend there seems to be wearables. So I've got a, a an iWatch uh Lots of people are, are using those sort of devices and it's capturing a lot of data. That gives a lot of power. I guess last week Google announced that they're buying Fitbit. So, you know, wh- where is that going to go uh, in the future, linking into Tanisha's point around, you know, big tech uh, Amazon <coughs> announced earlier on this year that they're going to have a, a joint venture with uh, Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan to look at setting up a health insurer in the U.S. as well. So you look at the combination of the power of those three companies coming together to focus on health insurance, and you got to think they, they can make a big difference. And then to finish, to go to talk about the reinsurance sector, which is the sector I'm in. Well, I guess we're all sort of we're dependent upon each of the the other trends. So is there's a change in personal insurance or? commercial insurance will impact the reinsurance sector. But I would point to, to one trend being a point that Nisha talked about, is that there's, there's been a certain amount of disintermediation of, of reinsurance. The lines are now blurred probably a little bit more than they were in the past between insurance and, and reinsurance. So historically, I guess, the insurers went out. They built a big infrastructure. They employed a lot of people. They had all the tech and they, they, short, sought, they attracted the business. They underwrote the business and so on. I guess with the advantage of technology, it's probably easier now for reinsurers to attract some of that business or to monitor some of that business directly. And we're seeing reinsurers doing more in that space. So with Greenlight, we have an innovation unit. We've invested in a number of MGAs. We use fronting carriers to provide the paper, and then we take the risk behind that. If you look at the sort of the global insure tech market, who some of the big investors are, you know, probably the two biggest investors are Munich Re and SCORE. So they're both reinsurers now playing big in this space. So I think when you talk about the future of insurance, it depends very much on
3: the sector, but there's a lot of things happening. Fantastic coverage, Pat. Do we have any questions from the audience? Does anybody want to ask a question of any of the panel? Hi, this is kind of a question for all of you. So
4: based on the future, myself and Jerry were having a discussion the other day about, uh, there's an article online by Matthew Grant about essentially how insurance is going to become more invisible in time and the idea is it becomes more embedded in product products like you were talking about pat and to me that makes a lot of sense and i can see that because people just hate buying insurance they never do because you're buying a promise and no one likes to buy a promise but jerry made the very good point that regulators are typically quite skeptical of embedded insurance products because it seems essentially like it's been forced on people so i'm just curious what all of you as a group because you have quite a broad opinion what you think of that concept or the trend and where you see it going Well, I'll speak for – I'm probably going to end up speaking for incumbents here, right? So I'll start, uh, you know. When Nisha was talking, and he talked about big tech, big tech does not operate in a regulated environment. And if big tech knew what it took to operate in a regulated environment, they wouldn't come in. (laughs) They would not come in, okay? Uh, And if big tech, uh, I could tell you, operate an environment with the SEER regime – Uh, they definitely wouldn't come in. Okay? So you've got a balance here at the moment. There's a concept in banking called bundling where you're not allowed to offer one product. Under the Consumer Protector Code in Ireland, you're not allowed to offer one product. You know, like, say, for example, I'm offering you a mortgage. I can't say buy my term insurance policy. You have to operate both separately. So part of the issue here is transparency because the other big trend is transparency. People want to know what they're paying for. They want like almost like a switch, uh, you know. Can I, you know? So even when you sell a bundle now in insurance, you have to itemize each element of the bundle, and the customer has to be able to switch it on, switch it off. So, I think where I do see it coming is is the sort of ease of doing business and making it easier for people to buy. Okay, I think you know that that's a, that's a big trend for me. I also think when, when Patrick was speaking, a big trend that I see uh, among insurers, and there they are clever people, is tr- trying to avoid paying claims, and in a nice way. Okay, so for example, one of the problems in insurance is a claim. You, every bit business to be long term successful, you want high alignment between the customer and the business, and fundamentally, insurance is built on a claims culture. But claim is a negative experience for the customer. Okay, you, you're, you're giving them financial redress but fundamentally something bad has happened that they've had to claim on. So the, 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 the new concept is, can we think of ways that we can work together with the client, and we can invest a little bit with the client to reduce the risk of a claim being paid in the future, because actually that's in both our interests.
2: Well, I agree with that, Jerry. So I, I think there's a lot of potential in that space to turn insurance more into a risk management product than the traditional product it's made, and we have to sort of <coughs> embrace that. You made some points then to about big tech. The other, I'd agree with all that. The other point I'd make on big tech is the reality is the margins of the insurance in, industry aren't that big. So if you're Apple or Google and you're making huge margins in your core business, why would you commit? To a, why would you invest capital, deal with all the regulation, and then make a three percent margin? It just doesn't make. It, it has
1: uh, No, I was going to talk about the bundling and some of the consumer protection code points, but I think Jerry's kind of kind of got a lot of them. I think what the insurers can do is offer options to like do you want to buy um, a wearable with your insurance product and actually you know one reinsurer I'm aware of would, would do that um, not in this market and the idea being we'll give you a healthier lifestyle and build into the lifestyle concept and actually if we keep you healthier and keep you living longer that actually saves us money in terms of the particular product that we sell to you. So it's a win-win for everyone. So it's that blurring of the lines, I suppose, between the insurance thing. And yes, I think the regulators maybe aren't massively comfortable with it, but if it's an option as opposed to it being bundled together, certainly I don't think the regulatory prevention is there at the moment to, to stop that.
5: I think um, on the specialty side for us, um definitely don't see embedded products being something that's going to happen anytime soon i think even just for us in terms of response uh, part of the future at lloyd's vision is around kind of these parametric triggers for insurance to respond when there's a claim happening and even just that concept has like you know sent everyone quite crazy to be honest um and yesterday in the lab flood flash is one of the um insurtechs who's just been through the cohort and they came in primarily with um the uh, reason to come and get more capacity. Like, they didn't actually need to work with mentors in the market. They didn't want to de- develop their product. They think their product's great, it is great, but they needed more capacity. And, you know, for a lot of people in the market, they were very hesitant to provide more capacity because they're saying, well, hang on, you've got a stick in the ground that says that, you know, when this building's been flooded, you will pay X amount because it's, you know, the water's risen to this level. Um, and you're kind of targeting properties that haven't been insured in the past because of the fact that they're near a flood. Area, um, so isn't that a certainty? We're going to pay a claim, which obviously, again, from an insurance perspective, you've got to do something different with your reserves, you know, all of that. Okay.
3: So, um, it, it's interesting. The concept of insurance companies m- helping to mitigate risk and not necessarily pay claims has been around for a long time, especially in the reinsurance space. I mean, the company Stan and I worked for a sponsored uh, a whole. A facility at Epcot to talk about hurricanes to basically teach people. You know, if there's a tree on the southwestern side of your house in Florida, you should move it to the northeastern side of your house because that way, if it blows over, you know, you're less likely to wreck your house. So, I think that's that's definitely coming. Um, the reason I mentioned old stuff coming around is is to to ask the panel. You know, you see a lot of um, a lot of talk about these new IoT devices, like you mentioned, Flood Flash and. Um, some of the mapping technology and the mobile technology. I mean, how much of that do you think is actually going to make a difference and how much of it do you think is just old ideas just being rehashed around in in slightly different environments?
2: Uh, It's a good question, Jerry. So I think, think, again, it probably varies by the sector that you're in. So a lot of people are quite price conscious so people will tell you that they're prepared to pay a little bit more for a higher-quality product that maybe is going to offer some risk management attached to it. The proof is in the pudding there. When you sort of put it up against a product which doesn't necessarily have that, will people pay? Uh, so I think that that's an open question. But certainly as an industry, I think we, we need to try to push in, in that direction. So I think you know IoT on home is a, is a good example of that. Uh, if you get into something uh, like cyber... I think I, I would view that a little bit differently, maybe because it's not a traditional product, it's a new product, but really for almost that to be underwritten, it needs to be underwritten as a risk-managed product, because the consumer itself isn't really capable of managing probably uh, some of the exposures that are there. The technology is changing all the time, so it needs to be sold as a risk-management product. So I, I think there's opportunities for in that type of sector. I
5: think also, um, Pat, just on that point, um, one of the things, we, we introduced a startup called CyberOwl to um, some uh, kind of marine cyber underwriters recently. And one of the points that they made is that actually that sort of trust element, and I suppose that is because, you know, when does your insurance company come to the forefront when you've had a claim? Um, and also just not having that trust in what are you going to do with that data? So um, one of the, you know, uh, pushbacks is that even if there is all, these, you know, there's all this new stuff out there, are clients going to be comfortable when you say, okay, well, we actually want to put this box in your engine room now um, because we're going to be tracking more data, which is going to help you avoid a cyber risk, but we're also going to be capturing other data. What are we going to do with this? Um, and, you know, if that's going to affect the price that they pay, um, that, there's a lot of reluctance around that.
2: Yeah, you know, that's exactly the same issue as you have. Let's say with telematics. So that you know, telematics has been there for a long time. People think it's great when they're getting cheaper insurance. Nobody wants to be, to have it if it means they're going to have to pay more because they're rated as a poor driver.
4: I, I would just say that the trend that I see is different ways to solve old problems. Right. You know, uh, so for example, like the pricing of risk has always been about what data you have. So I'm an old school life assurance guy There was a smoker rate and a non-smoker rate. Yeah. You know, if you're a smoker, you paid more for life cover. Yeah. So, you know, what, what Pet is doing and, and, and what Pat's doing is just applying modern AI, modern data, so the more data you have, the more accurately you can price risk. Um, you know, it was an interesting one that uh, Pat was showing. Was, I was at an event in the U.S. recently and w- w- was looking enough. Pat invited me to some of his companies. And you have a company on the West Coast that... Uh, the guys who you pay by the week for the for the for the car yeah, insurance. Thanks. Do you want to just explain? Because it's just it's it's just a very different way of doing something that's been done. Yes, yeah, so I guess yeah,
2: They're not the only people doing this, but I think that they're probably from a US perspective, they're one of the market leaders there. So it's it's a uh, MGA digital MGA selling auto insurance in the US and I guess they've got two features. So One of it is sort of it's pay as you drive so uh, depending upon how you drive and how far you drive they'll they'll price you but the other feature that they have which is quite interesting is you can turn it on or turn it off. So for a lot of professionals let's say you'll be driving to the airport on a Monday, you might be going from Los Angeles to Las Vegas for a couple of days then you come back so you turn off your motor insurance when you get to the airport. You'll get a text as you get into the airport saying do you want to turn it off When you land again you get a text saying you need to turn it back on on. So it's quite you know quite simple things, but that's, that's what the power technology has and how we can change traditional products.
3: Excellent. Frank, did
1: you have a question there? Pat, you mentioned the, the Berkshire and Amazon deal, which would know, be interesting to see how, how that evolves. But for me, I take a very simple view on it. I mean, what's to stop, say, Berkshire Hathaway buying the data from Amazon, running their analytics and paying a fee for that, and then it cuts out all of the regulatory hassle, you know, With their analytics capabilities, with the amount of money they have behind them as a major insurer, surely that's the end game for the big players.
2: Yeah, I guess maybe that's a question for Nisha. so where does it come? If you're you're Google or you're Facebook and you have all this data, can you then sell that data to an insurer's provider and monetize it so it then becomes a a regulatory issue. issue?
1: Yeah, and I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think it possibly gets into that territory that I was getting to with some of the competition law points because, you know, you combine some of those data sets and you're already an existing player within a market. You're potentially in an extremely strong position, arguably a dominant position, and, you know, there's tests and things to go through. I won't bore everybody with that. Um, But that would be the kind of territory I'd be getting to with that. But yes, I agree that that would be commercially certainly that would make a lot of sense, particularly from a Berkshire perspective, and arguably from an Amazon perspective as well. But that would be the kind of area you're getting into some of those competition law points, I think.
2: There is a limitation, though, I think, to this, is that insurance is based on the law of large numbers. So if you have very detailed data in terms of underwriting, certainly in the health and the life space, I think there's going to be a pushback in terms of, for example, the regulator will say, look, you can't really do that because you're going to discard the whole... Uh, segment of the population, which obviously is not as healthy, therefore they can 't get insurance no, just to, to add to, to that, Eddie, to, to the, Anisha made the point around that you know the recent review that the central bank is potentially going to launch into uh, <laughs> Motor insurance here and home insurance and the difference between, you know, how new customers are treated and renewal customers are treated. We have to accept that we're in an incredibly regulated industry when you compare that to to other industries. So if you're buying a utility or you're buying your cable or your phone or whatever, you expect if you're a new customer, you're going to get a discount. And I really don't see why that shouldn't apply to insurance either. But obviously, the regulator has a different view. And uh, it, that, I do think that makes it very difficult then for some of the, both the insure techs or the big techs to, to enter this space.
4: Uh, yeah. Question. Well, first of all, uh, my humble opinion is the future of insurance is incumbents and insured techs partnering to gain big tech capabilities. It's my opinion, so that they can provide products and services like what you said. You know, prevention versus all that good stuff. You know. Uh, so, a I, I, uh, question for Peta. You uh, in your study, there's like ninety percent. You mentioned that um, data and analytics is like what your respondents are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, In terms of data problems and solutions, what are the trends that you're seeing
5: and where do
2: you want to go forward with
4: that? Well,
5: so actually that's a really complicated um, question because in Lloyd's, um, because of the regulation uh, that we have with um, Lloyd's Corporation sort of acting as a pseudo regulator, um, there's a number of returns that insurers in the Lloyds market have to provide to Lloyds. So often when we're having data conversations, particularly on the operations side, it's not actually about the um, risk specifics. It's about the data that needs to be captured for regulation. So I think those are like two really distinct things that we need to kind of start tackling. Um, and I think that's kind of why it's interesting when you, um, Nisha, mentioned labs and kind of how they're maybe having a bit of trouble scaling is that, you know, the things that are going through the labs sort of seem as like the interesting nice-to-haves and we've got all these other kind of really um, big problems with legacy systems and getting data out from a regulatory perspective that we have to do. Um so it 's kind of how do you marry those two things, and so I think that 's definitely where the future at Lloyd's is also trying to kind of come into that if we can get the you know the best data in up front at the point of submission, which I mean huge issues or quote even um and that 's also because we rely on the broker you know the broker puts the data in, and so if you get rubbish data in, you get rubbish data out um so but the services hub element is meant to be looking at kind of all the like new stuff around actual risk selection and pricing where you can do better with that because of the partnering with InsurTech. So I really do hope that through this Future at Lloyd's programme, we're going to be able to bring both of those things forward because, yeah, it's a big problem. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So I should just, in the interest of disclosure, the questioner there is one of uh, Ireland's hottest young InsurTech startups, Jay Antonio and Christine at the back there, who I've worked with. And uh, your business is a CRM business, Jay, and you love working with insurers and extracting data from legacy systems. Isn't that right?
2: So
4: I think <laughs> I, 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 I think you might have been
5: Good thanks <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, I think actually, you, um, did you meet Jamie Garrett, who works at Talbot? The, yeah, the last um, Insta London event? Yeah, we thought what you were saying was really interesting then as well. <laughs>
3: Very good. There's a good commonality between regular attendees like Jay and us to the, the INSTEC. Um, and it was interesting to hear Mick talk about Matthew Grant. So if anybody isn't uh, a follower of Instech London, I would definitely, I would definitely get on that. Um, that's, a, that's a great point, Jay. And I think you're seeing a lot of people in the insurtech space, particularly in the London market, um, concentrating on APIs for that reason and RPA, robotic process automation. Um, you can't deny legacy. You know, for some of us who have been around the insurance industry in Ireland for far longer than, than we'd care to, to, to remember you know, um, there's a reason some of these systems stick around because they, they basically work and the hardware just kept surviving You know, they shouldn't have worked but they do so that's really interesting um, I think we've probably got time for one more question if got one, there we go. Okay. it's probably a little bit late but I'm going to pivot a little
1: bit uh, maybe the panel can talk about, with the rise of organised crime and insurance fraud, uh, where do you see the technology going to start to defend our organisations?
2: Who I mean,
1: wants to take one. that one first?
2: <laughs> well, Insurance Ireland is having a fraud conference, during next week, so maybe we'll be able to answer okay, it after that,
4: that. Yeah, look, uh, fraud is a massive issue. Uh, locally in Ireland, it's a massive issue. I think companies have really, you know, they've all got their SIU units, uh, you know clearly they've all uh, you know they they've all got their own methods uh, of doing it uh, you know I, I personally believe and some people think it's anti-competitive i think sharing in fraud is is perfectly admissible mm-hmm. i think companies should share i think you know it's not anti-competitive to share in that arena um and clearly there is there is a lot more access to to data okay so you got social media data so you know look i know that all the insurance companies in dublin track media they track they track the regular media, the social media uh, and they 're always looking for a flag of an individual we call them a, a pep or whatever you want to call them that is you know somebody who is a flag and it 's not just fraud its it's money laundering and, and it's all of that uh, but I think it 's an area where technology can add a huge amount of value. I think we are in the foothills of the journey. it is an absolute issue for companies. Um, And I I have to say this because I was at something today, and it's it's a slightly different point, but I think in fraud we're in the same place. So I was at a a seminar today. I see Eddie was at it and Alan was at it. But uh, there was a guy talking about money laundering. So total assets in the world, 85 trillion. Total proceeds of crime right now, about 3 trillion. How much do financial institutions spend on money money laundering? About 600 billion. How much do they catch? Was it was it three? <laughs> three billion? The most unsuccessful regulatory regime in history. And you've got to believe that technology could play... A, you know, rather than getting everybody's passport photocopied, technology could play a much more effective role in tracking that. Uh, uh, undoubtedly. Uh,
5: also, Experian was um, not an insurtech uh, startup, but in the Lloyd's lab for Cohort 3 as a kind of special... Um, participant and they're doing a, a bit of work called hive where they're trying to get everybody's claims data from the lloyd's market uh, blend it all together anonymize it and so people can kind of check for fraud um, and there's about seven or eight managing agents who've been involved in that project since the beginning of this year um, since before Experian were actually in the lab um, and definitely, I spoke to one of them yesterday, and they still just don't really feel comfortable with sharing claims data with one another. So I think, and also, it's actually really hard to get claims data out of the legacy systems. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I <don't> know. <laughs> so <laughs> there's definitely some like cultural issues around that as well that I think people need to get around.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big hand to the panel.